0: Hello, welcome to Plants for the People, People for the Plants. It's me, Olivia, and today I'd like to celebrate the harvest season by sharing some of the abundance Mother Earth spills forth all around us. The harvest is in full swing and we are scurrying around like squirrels collecting provisions for the winter. What's in store? Well first, a whole host of nuts. Around this part of Wisconsin there is a plethora of hickory, oak, and walnut trees. These trees all bear fruit that provides nutrition we humans can really benefit from. The processing for each takes some time, but the results are worth it. And the best part about nuts as a food source is that these plants are perennials. Instead of doing the work all season long, tending to annuals like potatoes, tomatoes, lettuce, and so on, trees and shrubs get planted once and sow themselves. We may need to maintain them with some pruning, but these food sources require far less input in the long run. Additionally, perennial plants have more developed root systems, therefore providing erosion control. These root systems provide homes for a wide variety of critters, and as the roots break up the soil, they form symbiotic relationships with mycorrhizae, the roots of the fungal queendom. This process improves soil health overall, which means more nutrients for everyone. Trees also sequester carbon more effectively as they age and provide an overstory for shade loving species creating more diverse habitats and making the ecosystems around us more resilient. Right now we are out and about gathering acorns from a variety of oak types, our preference being ones from the northern red oak. These acorns have more tannins and more protein. We will save the shells and hats for tanning hides, another fall and spring activity we really enjoy. The nut meats we plan to dry out first in our solar dehydrators, then we will grind them up into a flour that we will put into cold water to leach the tannins out slowly. Acorn flour is an old staple food for many indigenous tribes in North America, and there are a variety of ways to effectively process acorns. Samuel Thayer's book Nature's Garden provides an excellent overview of this process. From how to gather the best acorns to storage methods, cracking methods, leaching techniques, and everything in in between. Another nut we are going nuts for is the hickory nut. There are two common types in our area, the shagbark hickory and the bitternut hickory. Hickory trees are easily recognizable at this time of year because their leaves are some of the first to yellow. Their leaf pattern is also quite distinctive. They have a pinnate leaf pattern with oppositional pairs of leaves along a small stem, known as a petiole or rachis, terminating in one larger leaf. The shagbark hickory has larger leaves than the bitternut. The shagbark leaves come in groups of five, whereas the bitternut leaves are smaller and more typically in groups of seven. A very obvious difference between these two trees is, of course, the bark. Shagbark is shaggy with distinctive vertically-oriented strips flaking off along the trunk as the tree gets older and sizable. Bitternut bark is very, very smooth and gray. When the trees are young, this difference in bark is not as apparent, so checking the leaves as well can be very helpful for identification. The biggest difference I note in the nuts is in the husks. Shagbark hickory has a husk that is quite thick in comparison to the bitternut, whose is pretty thin and pliable. The shagbark hickory nut makes a delicious drink once shelled, tossed in some water, and simmered for a long time. The drink is nutty and fatty, perfect for cool fall nights. Some sources mention skimming off the top layer of fat that separates when one makes this drink the fat can go on bread like a butter. Bitter nuts are sought after specifically for their oil. These nuts have a high oil content that folks like to press out and use as a cooking oil or as a butter substitute. There are enthusiasts in the area who have oil presses and offer use of some of of their press in exchange for some of the oil. So you could gather extra, bring it to them to process and get as well as give a plethora of beautiful local oil. It has a fine nutty flavor. This is a wonderful tree to know about as our climate shifts and food systems face disruption. The other nut we are really excited about is one that some gardeners consider a total pest, the black walnut. Black walnuts excrete a chemical called juglone, which can inhibit the growth of many species in its general area. There are many plants who are friends with black walnut and who can tolerate this chemical. Nevertheless, it has a bad reputation. Black walnut is also excellent plant medicine, especially as an antifungal treatment. You can toss the hulls into an oil or alcohol to make a salve or tincture that will remove with time things like tinea versicolor. Do beware, the hulls have a lot of iodine in them, which is a valuable nutrient for all of us, but they also produce a juice that will definitely stain your hands, clothes, and anything else it gets on. This quality can be put to good use, though, if you like plant dyes because it makes a lovely, deep, and rich brown. The nuts themselves are a favorite squirrel food, but are also a great food for our brains. They are very rot-resistant, so you can gather black walnuts in the fall and keep them all winter long, hauling and shelling as needed. Walnuts are a lovely addition to baked treats, curries, trail mixes, and so much more. The other plant friend I want to mention as I'm talking about the harvest season is the grapevine. I've been out at a local vineyard these past few weeks harvesting grapes for wine. What beautiful fruit and vines! The clusters are full with delicious juice, an elixir revered and cultivated for at least 8,000 years of human history. Grapes and their derivatives are one of the most ancient forms of medicine, along with honey. Matthew Wood writes the alchemists believed that the grape was the highest production of the vegetable kingdom and that all plants aspired to be the grape. It provided the primal substance used to extract the essence of medicinal plants distilled alcohol or spirits of wine. All plants surrendered their essence to this living water. This grape was able to reveal the essential or spiritual nature of creation. Even today wine is recognized to have powerful medicinal qualities. Wine is a remedy itself. The grapes can be diluted with water and made into vinegar, vinegar with honey, or as a medium for giving herbs. Wine thins our blood and so relieves blood congestion that brings on headaches, stomach aches, and menstrual pains. Hildegard von Bingen says, wine is the blood of the earth and is in the earth as blood is in the human beings. It has a certain commonality with human blood. And we see this in the vine itself, which, when cut or snapped, bleeds a clear sweet juice akin to blood. The leaves are astringent, as is the fruit, and are part of Mediterranean cuisine, like dolmas, for example. The fruit itself, dried or fresh, can regulate digestion. Eaten in large quantities, they have a laxative effect. Wine stimulates our body, warms the stomach, and therefore aids our digestion. It warms the limbs, calms shivers, and thins and warms liquids in our body. It has drying powers and applied externally will pull out the pus from a wound as well as any splinters. Vinegar is a common remedy for inflamed and arthritic joints and is a well-known part of tonics like fire cider, often taken to dispel a nasty cold or flu. Brandy, oxymels, grape grapeseed oil, tartar, ash from grapevines, and even the blood of the vine are all considered valuable medicinal preparations coming from grapes. Other traditions, like Chinese food cures, incorporate wine as well. In this practice, different food cures are often prepared, even cooked in wine, and in some cases, the wine itself is the cure. This wine, unlike the Western traditional red, is more commonly a white or rice wine. There are a variety of grape cultivars, many associated with their region of origin. The vineyard I am harvesting at grows several varieties developed at the U of M and in Canada. These include Marquette, St. Croix, Edelweiss, and La Crescent. The concept of terroir, in which the wine reflects the region or environment in which it is grown, is one often only spoken of in relation to wine. However, I believe it is totally arguable that any plant is going to strongly reflect the circumstances in which it grew, through its medicinal potency, its spiritual potency, and its overall appearance. Given wine's power as a plant medicine and how it transmutes the spiritual essence of all plants so effectively, it does really shine as an example of the depth and breadth of knowledge plants contain in their earthly bodies. It is getting to be many years ago now since I had the pleasure and privilege to work closely with grapevines and participate in the winemaking process. Now with a lens that is new herbalism, it has been quite a joy and a journey reconnecting with this awesome plant friend of mine. Well, that is all for today folks. Thank you for tuning in on WDRT Viroqua this fine morning. I hope this inspires you all to find new ways to embrace the harvest season this year. Take care.